I'm Kev Jackson. Welcome to ChatPod, the Chat About Podcast. We have George Olson of the Sons of Norway joining us today. George, thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me. It's, it's nice to be here. You got a, a an event you're going to be a part of at the next meeting. We'll get to that in a, in a little while, but let's talk a little bit, first of all, George, about what the Sons of Norway is. I think a lot of people are pretty familiar with it, but for those who may not be, what is the Sons of Norway? Well, the Sons of Norway originally was formed to help immigrants, Norwegian immigrants, through financial hard times. It's a fraternal organization that does sell insurance products and annuities, etc., but they do try to keep some of the Norwegian and Scandinavian heritage and traditions alive and, and well, <laughs> going strong, but... You know, so it, and it's open to anybody. You don't have to be Norwegian if you have an interest in something Scandinavian. We always try to have programs geared towards that and heritage. And Sons of Norway does have heritage programs that you can learn to do different traditional crafts like wood carving, uh, rose mauling, which is uh, painting. It's the translation is flower painting, rose painting. And, uh, of course, genealogy, they have a cultural program where you can study genealogy and do your own family tree and follow the steps to do that. So, okay. And it's it's a great, through the years, I know I've made many, many friends, and it's almost like a family reunion going <laughs> to each meeting. You know, you've known them for so long, and they know things about you, and you know things about them. It's It's a... I think it's a great organization. Um, uh, anybody, like I said, anybody can join, and I think they'd have, enjoy being there. Uh, Nineteen ninety-two. You've been a part of it since then, so yeah. you've been you've been involved for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been president and cultural director, and uh, now I'm just on the board as a counselor. You know, I'm one of the old guys that knows the history and. <laughs> And stuff. So, but yeah, I, I've been president for many, many years, and and cultural director too, and had a couple terms as president. But okay. and now I just I'm the librarian. Also, I bring down a traveling library from my collection of books and Scandinavian music to each meeting, so members can check out books or music and even some movies. So okay, yeah, that's kind of what I do. Well, I mean, the history of, uh, of Norwegian immigration to North America, I mean, some would say it goes all the way back to Leif Erikson. So, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, about when, you know, did, did the influx begin? Well, the first, uh, the first uh, immigrants that came left in 1825 on a little sloop, the Stavanger, I mean, the Restoration, they left from Stavanger and came to America. And the, the biggest migration was probably from 1875 or 80 to about 1906, uh, that the biggest majority of immigrants came from Norway. Okay. Um, of course, a lot of them came, as anyone knows, to the Midwest, Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, and the Dakotas. There was one uh, small group that went to Texas, actually. There's a Norwegian community down in Texas that's still prevalent, and, of course, in Washington around the Seattle area. And so, yeah, but 
<clears throat> mainly the Dakotas and Minnesota have the biggest concentration. And, and, and what was it about the Dakotas and Minnesota that made the Norwegians decide that's where they wanted to be? You know, I'm not sure what the actual reason was, but the biggest draw was the free land. Mm. Uh, you know, in Norway, the, probably the biggest farm is going to be like 14 acres or 20 acres, you know, and, and when you could get 160 acres for basically nothing, you just had to prove it up and and it was yours. I mean, that was a big drawing card because at the in the 1880s and such like that, the crops had been bad for a few years. The economy was bad in Norway. You couldn't find the job. And for an example, my great-grandfather was the youngest in his family, so he would have had nothing to, when his parents passed, he would have gotten basically nothing, and he couldn't, you know, probably find a job. So he came when he was 15 uh, with his older sister. Um, so, yeah, it was just hard times, and the people that had come before had written letters, and, you know, they talk about the America fever. Mm. Um, you know, they wrote back, and, oh, it's so great here, you know, and just, and some did well, some didn't. Some went back to Norway. Um, so they <laughs> would, I mean, uh, what would, what? how long would a journey be? In those days, well, by sail it could have be it could be like six weeks long. Uh, by yeah. sail, by the time the eighteen eighties came around, there was some steam, so then it would only take like ten days, two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was pretty fast. But and you were only allowed to bring so many supplies and so many belongings. That's why basically they brought a trunk and whatever they could fit in the trunk was you know as far as clothing and whatever and uh, only a certain amount of food. So hopefully it didn't take longer than what they had because that's what the ship lines dictated was they could only bring so much, so many things. So then they they come across, most of them I presume, many of them anyway, uh, through Ellis Island? No, No? actually in, in Ellis Island, people think of Ellis Island as the only spot, but it it didn't open until 1892. Okay. Uh, before that, they would come to Castle Gardens in New York Harbor, which uh, for many years up until 1892 was the main spot in New York where they would come through. Uh, they do have a website now for Castle Gardens where you can do a search for um, immigrant ancestors as well as, of course, Ellis Island's got the same thing. But, yeah, so Ellis Island wasn't a thing until eight, after 1892. And so they get here. Did they did they know they were headed west? Were they uh, well read on what they were going to do, or was this something they got there and they said, "Hey, by the way, go west. You get some <laughs> land there." No, most of the time, like by the eighteen eighties, most of them did have a destination in mind, like North Dakota or Minnesota or Wisconsin, because relatives that had come before had that's where they would go, or even neighbors or friends, because it's. That was common that they'd come over here and settle in areas where people from their area in Norway had come before because they spoke the same dialect, um, you know, and it, it just felt more comfortable, you know, a stranger in a strange land. You know, it just felt more comfortable being with people they knew and, sure. you know, and could talk with until they learned English, you know. And so, and a lot of times the relatives would buy the tickets. 
and bring them over. You can see that in the immigration records where it says that the tickets have already been bought. And so yeah, it, that's that's why they would come and go where they did was people had invited them or paid for their ticket. And so they had a destination in mind when they left Norway for the most part. George Olson of the Sons of Norway. So February 25th, Sunday, <laughs> Uh, at 2 p.m. at Calvary Lutheran Church is the next Sons of Norway meeting, and you will be presenting on uh, the tips and tricks of Norwegian genealogy. So um, what are, I mean, what are the unique things about uh, finding your family history compared to other, other groups, for example? Well, in Norway, you have to be aware that they had naming traditions in Norway that would follow down through generations. That's why there are so many Ole Olsons and, and Hans Larsons and whatever. So so it can be very confusing when you start out with Norwegian genealogy. You, you have to be aware of the naming traditions because they did not have surnames. They had patronymic. Um, for example, my name, Olsen, you would know that he, uh, somebody was son of Ole to begin yeah. with. Um, and so, And then they would have the farm name. And that could change every time they moved to, if they were poor men, which were called husman, they were like a sharecropper or a tenant farmer. And if they would move, well, that, that they would take that new farm name. So you could even have, it's like an address name, you know, with so many Oles and Niels and Hans, it was more like an address. You knew exactly who lived at that farm. And that's the name they would take is Ole Olsen. For example, my great-grandfather was Ole Olsen Lundfossen. You knew where he lived by the Lundfossen name. But if they moved, you could have brothers in the same family tree that had different oh. farm names. Yeah. So you have to realize that that's what you're going to find. And, and they did have naming traditions. The first son would be named after the father's father the second son after the mother's father, and the first daughter after the father's mother, and the second daughter after the mother's mother, and on down to grandparents, and and then even after the, named after the father. So you have to be aware of, of those types of traditions when you go into Norwegian genealogy. Just because you see an Ole Olsen doesn't mean it's going to be the right Ole Olsen. Right. So you also have to find out what parish they came from and which area of Norway, because there's also a lot of farms with the same same name in different parts of Norway. So, oh my. So it can be very daunting and, and confusing. So, um, so those are some of the peculiarities. Um, how do you make your way through that labyrinth, that puzzle? <laughs> Well, if you if you do your research into the history of the areas and the naming traditions, once you find the parish or the area where they come from in Norway, it's not going to be quite so hard. And and if you are aware of the naming traditions, you'll be able to find uh, the person. Um, one other naming tradition they had if if you had both. Say you had the first son, but you had the the father's father's name was Bjorn, and the mother's father's name was Bjorn. 
you're going to have two Bjorns in the family. So <laughs> then, and one example I researched for a friend of mine, both Bjorns married Ingeborg Ols daughters. So then that took a while to weed out which Bjorn I was after. Yeah. But it, I was able to do it by birth dates and whatever and found they were different know which Bjorn I was after for yeah. my general research but so it's it can be very very <laughs> confusing but once you get onto it it's it's really not that hard now obviously to today in this day and age the internet is probably really really helpful but uh, how did you how did you chase it down in the past <laughs> by traveling wow. um, I okay. not specifically to Norway although I've been lucky enough to have been there three times but and two of them were kind of genealogical trips I, I went and looked at they have archives each area Norway has archives pertaining to their area uh, plus in the United States there's what's called a big dialogue and they're made up of descendants from specific areas of Norway and they have their own genealogists so that helped when I found where in Norway my people came from. I joined those and they were able to get started. I was also, there's websites here in the United States that you can start your journey and, and go over to Norway. And once you get in Norway, um, there's websites there also. All the church records in Norway, of course, now are digitized. But sure. back then it was looking at the actual book if you were to a uh, archive um, UND in North Dakota in Grand Forks has the Chester Fritz Library has the, the United States largest collection of what's called Big the Books and they are farm histories of the area oh. uh, in Norway specific areas and they go back clear to the first time the farm was named which can be in the 1300s and they come up with the people that were farmers there, their kids, sometimes who they were married, when they were born. So, and it, But it's a secondary source. The church records are the actual primary source that you should go to, to and that, <clears throat> those are factual. The big books are, are good, but there are errors because they're written by people maybe 200 years after what they're writing about, you yeah. know, so... But they're they're pretty good. Um, plus, there's groups. Um, in my instance, I was able to. Uh, I can't remember exactly how I got in contact with this gentleman, but yeah. Oh, it used to be a site called the Norway List. Yeah, I'll help you. And mm -hmm. So I gave him the name and my area where my great grandfather. Yeah, pretty soon he's shooting back. Um, old baptismal records and and stuff like that so but the computer has and I've closed up many libraries in the in the United States too you know you get a tap on the shoulder and sir we'd really like to go home and see you know yeah. but it you know to me that's I could get lost in a records department looking at old newspapers or old records and so and I still like to travel once in a while to do that or walking cemeteries, that gets mm -hmm. you. A, that can get you a lot of information. The older stones had actually quite a bit of 
uh, information on them, you know. But, mm-hmm. And the one key thing is you should try to learn how to read the Norwegian that's in these records. You don't have to speak fluent Norwegian, but but nowadays, yeah, the Internet is, oh, man, it, there's so much out there as far as genealogical information, you know, and, of course, as well as other information. I know the the first uh, relative of mine that came over, uh, Ephraim Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, came over as an indentured servant, and I would assume that the vast majority of people who come across are coming from rather humble beginnings. If you're owning businesses and you're a lawyer or you're a banker or whatever, probably not a lot of incentive to come over to the uh, to to the Americas. No, although there were businessmen and and uh, journalists, a mm-hmm. lot of you know they'd come from Norway and start the. Norwegian American newspapers. There were many Norwegian American newspapers that were written in Norwegian for the immigrants, and there's one, still one left today. That's the only one that's left, but it's the Norwegian American, which is out of Seattle. But there were many, and the business people did come over, although the majority were, as you say, of very humble beginnings. Um, but they were, you know, looking for that better life, and and some did come as indentured servants. They would have, like I'd say, a, a neighbor that had come over. They would send for this gal or guy, and, and they would work a certain period of time to pay that fee back and at their home, and then after that they could either stay or, you know, strike out on their own. So, yeah, there were indentured servants, and and they would sign a contract for a certain period of time. And, but most of the, I think the majority were coming just to do the Homestead Act deal and get their land and start a new life and hopefully better one. Yeah. <laughs> um, the family tree software, um, the DNA sampling that's out there now, how helpful is that? Well, actually... I was really hesitant for a long time about the DNA, um, but it, it is helpful. Um, I've actually found a couple cousins that I had helped in years previous with stuff over here. I had no idea that we were related, but by DNA we're fourth and fifth cousins, and they're over in Norway, and I have met one when they came over to um, we met in Superior, and she had been looking for her great-grandfather that had come over here. Had no idea, but it seemed like, yeah, we've known each other for a long It was like you knew them already. You know? hmm. Well, paging through my DNA matches, well, here she pops up, and whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, DNA is a very useful tool. Um, I'm not real educated in it yet, Um uh, there are people that really are really professional as far as the DNA and, and doing your genealogy. And that, like I said, I have drugged my feet for quite a while before I took it. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's a very useful tool. Okay. Well, again, February 25th, Sunday, 2 p.m. at Calvary Lutheran Church, you'll be talking about all of these types of things, right? Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> You know, if you can't dazzle them with your intelligence, baffle them with, you know. Yeah, yeah, I do know. <laughs> um, so um, 
obviously Sons of Norway members will be there, but uh, if anybody with an Olsen or an Elson or a last name that's a little curious, can they can they show oh, up? Oh, yeah, definitely. You don't have to be a member to come to our meetings if you just have an interest in what program we're having and or just come just to see what it's like and hopefully join, and I think they'll enjoy it. I, I'm hoping I give a clear explanation of how to do this type of genealogy. I mean, it's it differs from each ethnicity to, to yeah. another, you know. So Norwegian just happens to be more my specialty, okay. if I have a specialty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. As long as I got a Sons of Norway guy here, I got to ask this question because I've always wanted to know. Mm. George, what's the deal with Ludafisk? What's the deal with Ludafisk? <laughs> Well, you either hate it or you love it. Well, I'm on the hate side. i got to be oh, honest. <laughs> but I do think it's taken a bad rap because if it's made properly, it's flaky. It's, it's not the gelatin stuff you, you hear about. It does, if it's made right, it doesn't even smell. Like, you know, I've walked into Ludafist suppers where it's, oh, God. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they are having Ludafisk. But... I've been around older Norwegians that fix it at home and stuff, and you could not even smell it. You'd, the first time I experienced it was right after I got married. My wife's stepfather made for Christmas Eve was potato dumplings and lutefisk. So they had a li- very little kitchen, and we were sitting at the table, and I asked my wife, well, when's Elmer going to co- start cooking the lutefisk? She said it's cooking right now. But it didn't smell. It was all in how you took care of it in preparation okay. to that. And, yeah, but if it cooks too long, it's not good. If it cooks not enough, it's not good. But if it's cooked right, I like it. It's it's. And in Norway, here you either have, like, white sauce or butter. <laughs> but in Norway, they take uh, bacon and crumple okay. it up over the lutefisk. And instead of butter, sometimes use the bacon drippings. Well, you know anything's good with bacon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I, and is it is it a, the whole lie thing? Is that a preservation technique? Yeah. Well, is that what the, it's? the lye is used to uh, reconstitute it. Okay. Lie in the water. It's originally hung on racks in northern Norway on the Lofoten Islands, the cod. And they split it open down to the tail, and then it's put on these racks to air dry, and it shrinks down, and it's hard as a rock. I mean, if you hit somebody with it, you'd kill them mm. or knock them colder in a mackerel. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, and then they put it in the lye in the water to reconstitute it, and, and that's part of why some of it's really not good because people you know, wouldn't rinse it enough. My father-in-law would rinse. He told me he would rinse it like start six days ahead of time, but rinse it in ice cold water and change that water every day. Okay. And like I said, it didn't stink and it was good. You know, I my mother wouldn't allow it in the house. <laughs> you know, I the only way I heard about it was my dad talking about it as a kid. But of course, then he was saying, "Oh God, it stinks." <laughs> but <laughs> but, okay. so, but I I I have to say I like it. But then if it's made right. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. We wrap it up with a little tale of Ludafisk. <laughs> George Olson of the Sons of Norway. Uh, their next meeting again, Sunday, February 25th, 2 p.m., Calvary Lutheran Church. George will be presenting on tips and tricks of Norwegian genealogy. 
Uh, we had a great conversation today. I think it sounds like it'd be a really interesting uh, topic. If you are interested in your family genealogy, if you are from the Norwegian persuasion, uh, George, great to have you here today. Thanks for taking the time. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. It was good. I, I enjoyed it. I'm Kev Jackson. Thanks for joining us today on Chatpod, the Chatabout podcast.